reading Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Good morning, church. Well, it is such a joy and a privilege to be here with you guys this morning. Um, Like Cole said, my name is Zach Schimmer, and I am the Community Development Director at Hope is Alive Ministries. Uh, I know a lot of you know about us, who we are, what we do, but to give you a quick overview, Hope is Alive, we exist to radically change the lives of drug addicts, alcoholics, and those who love them. And the two main ways that we do that are through our sober living mentoring homes. We have 24 homes across the country, 10 different cities, five states. And let me tell you, church, God is moving within the lives of the men and women within those homes. Uh, The second way that we're able to fulfill that mission, that God is working in and through that mission, is through our Finding Hope family support groups. Um, So that's just kind of a brief, high-level overview of who we are, what we do, um, what I do vocationally. Um, but yeah, so uh, first of all, want to kind of side note, want to thank you, Pastor Cole, Dr. Fakes, uh, just for <laughs> been waiting to say that, brother. Uh, but yeah, it's such a joy and a privilege to be here today. Um, man, it's just such, such a cool morning. Uh, thank you, Carlton Landing. Thank you, Carlton Landing Community Church for having us here, uh, for loving on our guys, Andrew and Zach and Jackson and Uh, just making them feel right at home. We're very grateful for you guys. I know a lot of you have been supporting Hope is Alive for a long time, so just thank you for your support and for journeying alongside of us. Um, On behalf of Lance and Allie, thank you. Um, They're our founders, if you don't know, our founders and executive directors, so thank you, church. Uh, This morning, what I want to do is I want to start by sharing with you how I am living proof that God is at work within Hope is Alive Ministries. And I, want, I hope to do this through sharing my testimony with you. Um, and like that scripture that was read from Matthew 5, it's a testimony of flavorlessness to saltiness, of darkness to light, and really from death to life. Um, it's truly a story, I believe, that only God could write. So let me tell you about it. So I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, from the outside looking in, we had a normal run-of-the-mill family. Um, went to church on Sundays, I went to a private Christian school, you know, played sports, did all the things, uh, but the reality behind closed doors was quite a bit different. Um, see, my, my dad, he, I grew up with an alcoholic father, and uh, generations before him, alcoholic and addicted. Um, and so growing up with that, I was always kind of searching for, for some meaning in life and searching for something to fill the God-sized hole that was within me uh, to fill that up. And you know, early on in my uh, life through middle school, I was finding that through just fitting in with whatever crowd I could find. You know, I was a chameleon for all intents and purposes, blending in to whatever crowd I was running around with, whether that was the, the athletic kids or the cool kids or the funny kids, whatever that was, I was just trying to blend in. Um, and that worked for a while, and then it didn't. 
So at the age of 13, I took my first drink of alcohol. Um, at the age of 13, I smoked marijuana for the first time. And for the first time, I had something that would temporarily fill that void within, fill that hole within. And it worked until it didn't work. And so as I grew up and went through high school, I began experimenting with harder and harder substances. And it would work, right, until it didn't work. And I was still able to maintain good enough grades to keep my mom off my back and to stay eligible on the basketball team. But within, I was just in turmoil. Uh, my life was getting further and further out of control, but I was still able to maintain uh, some form of normalcy in my life. Uh, my dad's drinking was also continuing to progress. And with that, um, all the attention was on him. Um, I was kind of able to do whatever I wanted because the focus was over here and not on me. And so I went off to college at Oklahoma State, and my dad, he went to treatment for the first time. And I thought that I was emotionally and spiritually and mentally separate from that. Um, I know today that I wasn't and that it was a big effect on me, but I went off to college, and I began just going crazy. That downward spiral of addiction increased at a rapid rate. And uh, it all led to me in December of 2012 uh, being suspended from Oklahoma State and moving back to Tulsa. And I moved in with my dad, who at that time is clean and sober, and I'm very much not. So you can imagine that there was a bunch of friction there. Um, man, so when I moved back to Tulsa, that's really when things got their absolute worst. Um, that's when I found prescription painkillers, opiates, and ultimately that's what brought me to my knees. Uh, the best way that I could describe those next three years was just complete and utter darkness. I, I really believe that I became the absolute worst version of myself, um, manipulating, lying, stealing from whoever, whenever to get whatever I wanted, whether that was family, dear friends, colleagues at work, whatever the case was. Um, I just wanted to continue feeding the darkness of my addiction. Everything came to a head in January of 2015, January 6th of 2015. My dad, my little sister, and my grandmother showed up at the house I was living in in Tulsa, and they told me, you know, my dad said, hey, look, if you don't come with me to get help, I'm going to force you to get help. And you'd think that would be what I needed to hear in order to make a radical shift in my life. But I was so twisted in my thinking that I was ready to bolt out the back door. But, you know, like, uh, just to, to give you an idea of the state I was in, I didn't have gas in my car nor money for gas. And so ultimately, my moment of surrender happened just a few minutes later, standing upstairs at this house, talking to my little sister, tears streaming down her face. And she told me two things. She told me, one, that she loved me. And she told me, two, that she didn't want to see her older brother die. And it was in that moment that my tears matched hers. And I said, all right, what do I need to do? Where do I need to go? How do I do it? And, you know, church, just to zoom out for a second, I've tried to, in the past several years, like process what made that moment different. Because people have told me those things, right? They told me they loved me before. They told me that they saw a future and a hope for me. But for some reason, that moment changed the trajectory of my life. And I think um, it was largely because Hannah, my little sister, she saw me at my absolute lowest, right? She saw me in the darkness. She saw me in the shame. She saw me in the guilt, and she still loved me. 
and she still saw hope in a future for me. And I think, church, that's the way that Jesus sees us, right? He sees us at our absolute lowest, and he still says, hey, come, come to me. Look at what I got for you. And that's what happened in that moment. So I went directly to a state-funded detox facility in Oklahoma City, and then I went door-to-door to a 90-day, all-men, faith-based treatment facility in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. And I don't know if you guys can tell, but like, I'm very much a city boy. Uh, and that place changed my life. Um, I'll never forget meeting with this counselor, good old cow- had a cowboy hat on, good old boy. And I, he's, I sit down with him for this first session. He says, well, Zach, why are you here? I said, well, I have a problem with alcohol and drugs. Why do you think I'm here? And he looked me in the eyes and he says, you're wrong. I said, I'm wrong? He said, yes, you're wrong. He said, you have a Zach problem. And right now you have an alcohol and drug solution. And he went on to explain to me that the only real solution to this Zach problem was a spiritual solution found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that hit me right between the eyes. I said, oh, that makes sense. And church, that very next Sunday, I gave my life to Jesus at a church service, and nothing has been the same since. Not long after that, I found out about Hope is Alive Ministries. I remember sitting in this little circle, this meeting at this treatment center, and seeing Lance Lang and the original five Hope is Alive guys coming out. And I remember seeing these guys, and they had smiles on their faces. They had a joy about them. They had something that I naturally gravitated towards. They had a a saltiness. They had a light about them, and I wanted what they had. I went up to Lance, and I said, hey, man, like, I don't know all about what you do, but I want to be a part of whatever it is you're doing. And so to make a long story short, I was one of the first residents into the third Hope is Alive home in Oklahoma City, and that was in April of fifteen. And I remember that very first Sunday, standing there talking to Lance, and he speaks life over me. He speaks truth over me. He tells me, like, hey, if you buckle up and really plug into this program, God's going to radically change your life. And he saw a calling on me. He saw the calling that God had put on my heart. And church, that's what happened. I remember laying in this little twin bed at H3, home number three, and I remember uh, just feeling this distinct pull yearning on my heart to work with other addicts and alcoholics. And I said, okay, God, like, I hear you, but I don't see how that could work. We're a small ministry. Like, we have three homes in Oklahoma City. I, you open that door, I'll walk through it, but I don't see how it could work. Um, not long after that, I was sitting there with Lance and his wife, Allison, and I came on staff with Hope is Alive. And, uh, yeah, there was a time when it was just the three of us, uh, me, Lance, and Allie. And I've gotten the opportunity to watch Hope is Alive grow to what it is today. Um, A couple other cool things I always like to share, just stuff that God's done um, in my life. So I mentioned that my dad had found sobriety um, not long after uh, going to Rob's Ranch and then Hope is Alive. He actually relapsed. And, uh, you know, I I share this with you, church, just to uh, point you to the Father, point you to God and what he's done, and, and the, the restorative work that he's done in my family's life. And so it was, you know, kind of role reversal, three years of darkness in his life. And, you know, just to be honest with you, church, I could see that hope, I could see that future, I could see that light for all these men that I got the opportunity to work with and walk alongside of. But for some reason, there was some sort of 
hard-heartedness, some sort of blockade that was keeping me from seeing that hope for my dad. And church, what happened is in November of 18, God really broke me down and, and gave me the opportunity to walk with my dad to getting help. And what he did differently was that he went into Hope is Alive after finding sobriety. And so church, for the first time in my 29 years of life, my father and I, we have the father-son relationship that we've always desired. We have, we're both clean and sober at the same time. And here's the cool part. Actually, both of those are cool. But also, we're getting to do ministry alongside each other. He works for Hope is Alive in Tulsa. And so, yeah, praise God. That's what I'm telling you, church. Those are the stories that only God can write. Another cool thing that I like to share is uh, that God blessed me with a beautiful, wonderful wife. And uh, so Chelsea and I recently moved up to Kansas City. That's where I live nowadays, and I'm doing ministry for Hope is Alive. And God's been so good to me, way better than I deserve. Um, and it's truly a story that only God can write. So that's a little bit about me, about my story, just to give you guys a fun little intro. Um, but I also uh, have a little message for you as well. So Cole and I were chatting a couple weeks ago uh, kind of about what he wanted me to teach on. And where I ultimately landed is Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Um, so here in Matthew 5, we see the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus has just finished speaking on the Beatitudes uh, these can be described as kind of character traits of those who are a part of God's kingdom. Um, now here in verses 13 through 16, he begins telling of this concept of salt and light. This is showing his audience the relationship that his followers, that we as believers are to have with this world. So this morning, as you know, we have about 23 minutes, this morning what I hope to do is dig into these four verses in order to point us to some truths that can be seen in each of our lives, seen in the work that Hope is Alive is doing, and lastly, what we are to do with these truths. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Point number one, our world needs believers to live as salt of the earth. Our world needs believers to live as salt of the earth. So what does Jesus mean here when he says that you are salt of the earth? Well, salt in Old Testament times was often a purifying agent. When Jesus says this, he is telling his followers that they are to purify a corrupt world through the way that they live. In other words, to be salt of the earth is to live a righteous life. To live a righteous life is to live as Jesus did. So therefore, church, we can conclude that being salt of the earth is an inward experience that one undergoes while practicing the ways of Jesus. Friends, there's nothing new under the sun. We're still living in an increasingly corrupt world, an often dark world. And what I, what I found over the past year and a half especially, that this at times can become glaringly obvious to us, right? 
The need is still there today for us to live as salt of the earth, to live a life as Jesus did and calls us as his followers to live. When one comes to faith in Jesus Christ, you heard my salvation story, when I came to faith in Jesus Christ, a purifying work began. So it is true for all of us. When one comes to faith in Jesus Christ, a purifying work begins. This purification process isn't necessarily seen or heard, but it also does not occur in a vacuum, and it's not to be kept to oneself. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, no sooner is a man born unto God than he begins to affect his fellow men with an influence that is rather felt than seen. The unobserved and almost unconscious influence of a holy life is most effectual to the conserving of society and the prevention of moral putrefaction. May there be salt in every one of us. Salt is good. Have salt in yourselves, and then you will become a blessing to all around you. Church, salt is good. Saltiness becomes a blessing to all around you. So the converse of this would be to lose its taste, would be for us to lose our taste. So following this same line of thought, a tasteless salt, it would not purify. In fact, the verb translated, lose its taste, indicates foolish and immoral behavior. So I don't know if you guys could tell as I gave that little overview of my testimony, but I spent years of my life living foolishly and immorally. But God, good as he is, provided a way out and did and is doing a purifying work deep within my heart, within my soul, within my mind, and now he's given me the opportunity to live as salt of the earth. This is the same opportunity that he gives to each of us as believers. For me, this purifying work began within the Hope is Alive homes. And church, I'm here to tell you today that God is still doing this purifying work within the Hope is Alive homes. Through our highly intentional, highly accountable, gospel-centered, three-phase program, God is doing a purifying work in the lives of our residents. I mean, look at Jackson, Zach, Andrew, my dad, my wife. Like, God's doing a mighty, mighty purifying work within our homes. And as a result, men and women are being free, being set free from the bondage of drug addiction. Friends, if you don't believe me, I would highly encourage you to come see for yourself, whether that's at dessert at two o'clock or coming to see one of our homes in the cities that you're in. So what are we to do with this truth? The truth that we are to be salt of the earth. Family, my encouragement to you today is to stay true, to stay the course. As Christians, we are in the midst of this lifelong purifying process. As we continue to walk with Jesus and practice his ways, this purifying process will continue in our own lives as we continue to be made righteous and look more and more like Jesus. And the most exciting part, it's not just for us. God didn't save me from the darkness just for me. It is so that others can see the way that we live as salt of the earth and gravitate it towards it 
get a taste for themselves and set into motion the ripple effect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does this look like? Let's go to verses 14 through 16. The word of God says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a, light, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So to dig into that a little bit, these verses, these verses are an allusion to a few verses that are found in Isaiah. These verses found in Isaiah 9, Isaiah 42, and Isaiah 49 describe the prophecy of the coming Messiah. For example, Isaiah 9, verse 2 reads, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So by pointing to these verses, Jesus is showing us that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and that he has come to shine a light in a land of deep darkness. For another example, these verses are an allusion to Isaiah 42, verse 6, which reads, I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. Jesus is showing us what we are to do as his followers, and he's doing this by pointing us to the Old Testament prophecy and proclaiming it. Jesus is showing us, point number two for us this morning, that it is our duty to proclaim the light. It is our duty to proclaim the light. So as we've established and as has been noted, we live in an increasingly depraved world. Addiction is running rampant. In fact, there were 93,000 drug overdoses in 2020 alone. That's the highest ever recorded in a single year in history. So addiction is running rampant. Sin is seemingly everywhere. And darkness, at times, it appears to be surrounding us. But as believers, we know how the story ends. We know that the light will prevail. We know that as John chapter one, verse five states, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And friends, let me tell you, the God who created light from nothing in the beginning is still at work. Shining his light in and through us on the darkness of this world. And I also want to tell you, church, that God is also shining his light through the Hope is Alive homes on the darkness of addiction. Therefore, church, it is our duty to proclaim that light. It is our duty. Think about it. What if the Hope is Alive residents, what if the guys you've gotten a chance to meet this weekend, Jackson, Zach Curry, and Andrew, what if they did not share about what God had done in their lives? What if they hid their light? What if they put a basket over their lamp? The same question can be posed for all of us as believers. What if you hid your light? What if we as believers simply looked like the rest of the world? 
And just to be honest with you for a second, I think that at times, like, I can fall victim to that of hiding my light almost. Maybe I'm in an opportunity where God wants me to proclaim the light, and I might hold back um, when God wants me to proudly and boldly proclaim that light. Maybe that's true for you. Maybe it's not. But church, it's because of the great purifying work that the Lord has done within us, right, making us salt of the earth, that we are the light of the world. See, being light is the outward expression. It's because of this miracle-working power of our God that our light cannot be hidden. It is because of these truths that it is our duty to proclaim the light. Friends, I'm here to tell you that at Hope is Alive, our staff and residents are proclaiming the light. I believe like that's why it's a ministry that you can come alongside and that's why it's a ministry that you can get behind. So I wanna encourage you to grab one of these guys after service today or this afternoon and ask them to share their testimony with you. I don't think you'll have much trouble seeing the light. Seeing how each of these men and women, if you talk to my wife, are a city set on a hill how they are a lamp on the stand, how they are boldly proclaiming the light. My hope is that if you do this, you will walk away encouraged and challenged by their bold proclamation of the light. And church, you too have this calling from God to proclaim the light. I think back to my time when I was in the Hope is Alive homes and uh, shortly after that came on staff and Um, you know, I don't know if you guys know, but like walking with Jesus, it's not always sunshine and rainbows. Like there are still tough days. And the same holds true for like our recovery journey. There are still tough days. And I was in the midst of one of those tough days. Uh, I just recently lost a friend, um, a dear, dear friend. And uh, I was mourning church. I was grieving. I was hurting. Um, And I think that during this process of grieving and overwhelming sadness, Like, I had a distinct option to turn back towards the darkness, away from God, or to turn towards the light. Ultimately, I ended up staying the course and remained in the light. And I believe that one of the things that transpired completely changed the trajectory of my life. A lot like that interaction with my sister. This is another one of those type of moments. And what happened is that I asked Cole Fakes to disciple me. And what God did for me through that relationship is something that I will forever be grateful for. I grew deeper in my knowledge of God and his word than I ever thought possible. I made a lifelong friend that is there for me through the mountains and the valleys, through the highs and the lows. And through this, I became confident in my calling to proclaim God's light. And I don't tell you that, church, to, you know, fan the flame of coal, but like, tell you like, hey, God has that same calling on your life. There's somebody that's just like me that needs you just like I needed Cole. Church, there are men and women in your life today who need you to shine your light. It is your duty. So where does this leave us? What are we to do? Well, to reiterate verse 16, It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works 
and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That brings us to our last point. Point number three, shining your light glorifies your heavenly Father. Shining your light glorifies your heavenly Father. Church, I believe that we all have a story of darkness to light, and it's a story that only God can write. These stories are not just being written within the confines of the Hope is Alive homes, but throughout Carleton Landing, throughout Carleton Landing Community Church, throughout Oklahoma, and really throughout the world. God is still at work writing stories that only he can write. And what I want you to hear is that these stories are not for our glory. I didn't share my testimony to bring glory to myself. No, no, no. It's to bring glory to our Father. To make this point clear, I will again point you to Charles Spurgeon, where he says, the object of our shining is not that men may see how good we are, nor even see us at all, but that they may see grace in us and God in us and cry, what a father these people must have. Church, the light shining at Hope is Alive is bringing glory to our Father. The light shining in your life is bringing glory to your Father. The light shining at Carlton Landing Community Church is bringing glory to our Heavenly Father. My prayer today is that you have seen God's grace in and through me. That you have seen God's grace in and through our staff and residents. And that you walk away from here today not saying, oh, what a great ministry is Hope is Alive. But wow, what a great father these people must have. So church, in closing, my challenge to you is simply to echo the words of Jesus. Be salt of the earth and let your light shine before others. It is our duty as believers and it glorifies our heavenly father. What a great father we have, church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time here today. Lord, I thank you for moving me out of the way today so your voice could be made loud. God, I thank you for the work that you are doing within the Hope is Alive homes that's bringing glory to you. God, I pray that as we go, here, go from here today that we will be salts of the earth and that we will let our light shine before others, God. Not for ourselves, but for you and for your glory so that we can see the kingdom of heaven expand for years and years to come, God. I pray these things in your name and all God's people.